HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. of Sheba, the queen, but we're not talking about Queen Sheba today. Hi, this is Linda Palaccio uh, for A Taste of the Past on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Today we're going to be talking about queen bees, not queen, not Sheba the queen. Um, And I would like to mention that Fairway is our sponsor today. Fairway markets are terrific. I know that many of you now are happy they're in your neighborhood, they're expanding, and they have the freshest produce, great products, and hope that you will visit your local Fairway market. My guest today, talking about queen bees, <laughs> is the queen of, of bee literature, I guess you might say right now, Holly Bishop. Holly is a beekeeper number one, we have to say, and a journalist, and the author of, I have to say, it's not a new book, it's been around for a while, right? About five years. Five years. The most, I was, the most fascinating book, it's called Robbing the Bees, and I think beekeeping is is really in the news lately a lot, (laughs) it's been around for millions of years, Um, but it's really been in the news because the city has just passed an ordinance that is now legal to keep bees in the city. Finally, we are happy. I mean, usually you have to escape to the country to, you know, to raise some bees. But Holly, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for writing this incredible book. I've always been fascinated with bees, but now this has really tipped the scale for me. Thank you, Linda. I'm happy to be here. Um, How, what, what, what made you write the book? Well, how did you, how did you get into writing the book? I was a, a, a woman of the city for most of my last 10 years and bought a house in the country and was trying to figure out what I could do, like a, a start a garden or raise cows or um, something to do as a weekend farmer. And I went to visit my friend who kept bees, and that was it. Um, he showed me what it was like to harvest honey and put it, on your lips, like right in the right in the apiary, and I was sold. And then the I knew nothing about beekeeping or bees, so I just started from there, learned from scratch. Well, I, you did. I, I have to say, more than just learning about bees. I mean, this this book is really that contain it contains scholarly research. I really I have to commend you on the research that you did. It's, and I was so happy that it's 
index. I thought it was just going to be this nice little book about keeping bees, but I mean, it is it is really a compendium of knowledge about honey and beekeeping. Well, bees have been around for uh, bees. Well, bees have been around forever, but interesting. I'm, I'm going to let you talk about it. The history of honey. Honey, I mean, f- for millions of years, right? Millions of years, millennia. Um, bees came from, bees, were, bees weren't around two, two million, two millennia ago, um, but wasps were, and then flowering plants evolved, and bees evolved in order to collect nectar from those plants, because wasps are carnivores and bees are honey makers. That's what they use to feed their brood. Mm-hmm. Um, so honey honey came when bees did about millennia ago. Well, they refer to, um, I mean, Mesopotamia, There's in the tablets there's references to honey in in recipes and the food in, in ancient Mesopotamia. So we know it was around there. Although some, they say the land of milk and honey, but often the honey was mistaken for perhaps date syrup, and they weren't sure whether it was date syrup in some of the writings or honey, but the writings of the bees and the pictures of them mm-hmm. certainly well, I think honey was the only real sweetener for for centuries. You could get sort of watered down sweetener from dates or mm-hmm. figs, but honey was pure and it was revered for that reason. There was nothing else like it, and it was used in you know it, it was a luxury but used in in anything that needed a sweetener well i can I can see that having an interest in bees and raising them suddenly for you became an obsession <laughs> you, uh, you can't help it every beekeeper I've met um, and I understand there's one nearby um, coming on the here show. at Roberta's <laughs> yeah well we'll talk to him later yeah. but everyone I've ever met just you, they describe this seduction I mean they're they you just can't help but become obsessed um I, honey is I, I think that um, I was really surprised you have some interesting uh, facts in the book and how little honey we as a nation, the U.S., consume, and hopefully that's changing. I mean, pound, you know, hundreds of pounds of sugar, but... I think, it, I think I remember it was 150 pounds of processed sugar that the average American eats in Ugh. a year. Mm-hmm. And by comparison, about two teaspoons of honey per week. Well, so like about, about, a a pound of, about a pound of honey a year or Half. something, right? Yeah. 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 Amazing. Uh, and there's, And it's such... I mean, I... Having lived in Europe, I became introduced to a lot of different varieties of honey, which you know I was uninformed before, so I didn't know. But and all these different, you know, the bitter honeys, the sweet honeys, um, depending on the flowers, right? The, the 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 flavors that you get in a honey result from which flowers the bees were foraging on to 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 gather the nectar. So if they're in a field of clover, you're going to get a really sweet clover honey. I went to Australia to meet a beekeeper who made leatherwood honey. Have you ever tasted that? No. It's, it's extraordinary. It's spicy and aromatic and dark. And that's because they, they gather the nectar from this rare leatherwood tree. And it's, so it's very specific flavors often. Yeah. yeah I, I, um, the corbezzolo plant, which is only found in the Mediterranean, makes a very bitter honey. And I, 
I was I found that in Italy, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Didn't even know the plant. Didn't know the plant. Mm. And certainly didn't know the honey. But it's very, very sharply bitter. Like mm. a manuka, that yeah, more medicinal. Exactly. Well, yeah. no, but you you would use it in in foods, but it's great in a lot of savory dishes, mm-hmm. not necessarily um, for sweetening, or drizzled on. <laughs> drizzled on a nice sharp sheep's milk cheese mm-hmm. <laughs> or fresh ricotta uh, yes no, no, I mean the uses of honey are I think are only becoming reintroduced in this country why did we get away from it I don't know I think the culprit is is sugar as we said um, it became sugar was when it was first introduced in Europe it was um, maybe the 11th century and it was very expensive it was a status symbol to have a little tablet of sugar in your purse And then it became, um, there was cane sugar and then beet sugar. And there was lots and lots of sugar available, and everybody wanted sugar. And then suddenly honey was this boring old syrup. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. We blame sugar. (laughs) (laughs) I remember the honey would be dragged out, as you you mentioned, um, one of the, um, and I'll talk about him, uh, somebody that you interviewed in the book, mentioned honey... uh, curing sore throats and and being used as a cough medicine and that's when the honey was dragged out in my home when i Hmm. was a child was you know if we had a cough my mother would make the honey and lemon juice um concoction and and make us gargle or swallow that and that was a great treat but of course honey was because it became not as popular it also then the price went up and honey was expensive Mm -hmm. honey's always been expensive Mm -hmm. i mean it's it takes a lot of a lot of bees and a lot of flowers Yes. Like how many flowers? Something like I think millions of flowers? Two million flowers that must be visited to make a pound of honey. Wow. Wow. So, you know, that was that was a rare thing, a rare treat as mm-hmm. well, unless you mm-hmm. kept your own bees, which was which never most, that popular. Most people did. I mean, until sugar came around, the, the, then every farmstead would have, you know, a hive or two of bees in the backyard. because For you, honey or for pollination? What do you think that, what was the meaning? For honey, you could do, you know, you, it was your household sweetener. It was the way you made your mead, um, which was yes. the, the beverage of choice um, before wine came along. Um, so it was, a, it was very standard. You had a cow in the backyard, and somebody nearby had a, a beehive, um, and you could barter your, your, you know, if you didn't have a beehive, you would you would trade your cow's milk. Or yeah. Well, I was um, intrigued by the title "Robbing the Bees," mm-hmm. and then read the book and and kind of understood. Um, explain how you chose that title. That was uh, I struggled w- with what to call this book, and then one day the the character of my of my nonfiction book is a, a beekeeper who I interviewed and spent a lot of time with in the Florida Panhandle, and one and he's a real character, Don and Smiley. He, Don Smiley's <laughs> name is really Don Smiley, and um, he he just had all these funny sayings and. Um, but he'd say, "Let's go rob those bees," because that's what—that's how beekeepers describe it. They're, they are taking gently um, the honey that the bees have produced for their own consumption. Well, reading the history that you include in the book, I was—I was, I was um, fascinated by the fact that they—we've been people have been robbing the bees for, as you say, millennium. I mean, mm-hmm. a million years. And so there are evidences, even six thousand years ago, five thousand years ago. of of the cave paintings of people gathering the the hives but they were and they were really robbing the bees because they didn't know about keeping extra honey in there to feed the rest of the brood. I mean they would kill off the bees and just take the honey. Right. It was it was a much more sort of violent <laughs> robin pillage. Robbing, <laughs> yes. 
And then the, a lot of the research in the book um, is about how that process evolved when people learned husbandry, if you will, of, of bees, that you could you could grow your hive at the same time as taking excess honey. Right. And can you can you kind of pinpoint a time when when let's say cultivation of hives and honey evolved? It was a it was a long process that really changed rapidly in the nineteenth and twentieth centuries, um, with with innovations in in the hives, like the hives that I saw on the the roof at Roberto's, Here at Roberto's yeah. are the result of um, of an invention um, that that was able to identify how much space the bees needed between frames, and that might sound like a very small innovation, but when you when they could determine that amount of space. It means you could take the frames out and manipulate the hive and get all the honey out as, uh-huh. as often as you wished. Mm-hmm. So that but, was I mean, but they were. But I mean, as far as um, I guess they weren't actually. Well, they were cultivating. I mean, even in, the, in you know the 12th century and, and earlier in the 600s. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, the in basket hives. Right. Those things you always see and wonder why. Why is that a beehive? It's right. Because that those were called skeps and they were made out of straw and. And and those are not used anymore because they weren't, as you say, you couldn't pull out the frames and, and separate the comb. Um, I think there were just better better materials when mm-hmm. you know when the timber industry had the equipment to actually make nice plywood board and, and mass produce beehives. That changed the whole skep market. Right, <laughs> right, indeed. Well. Um, I, Actually, they would. I mean, I know that they would not touch the queen, right, and uh, leave her alone. They knew enough about that. Although they, I think a lot of it was um, reaching into a you know a hole in a tree or a step and taking <laughs> out the outside comb and hoping that they didn't get stung too much and uh, hoping that the queen was still in there. But the science of the of the queen wasn't really understood until probably the 18th century. Hmm. Interesting. And a lot of people. Um, who spent were, became obsessed as well, like as you did? Um, was it Long's work? Who's Lorenzo Longstraw? Lorenzo Longstraw. He's the guy that invented or that discovered that tiny little space between the frames. So, and that's where our modern hives evolved mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. And then Eva Crane, a uh, uh, scientist, I mean, wrote just did a massive amount of research. Amazing, and, amazing. The book is, you know. Th- Four inches thick, and uh, and she just got as much lore and history as as is possible. I think. And lore and lore abounds, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. there are stories of of Aristotle's and and people thinking that honey was the rain that came from the gods, mm-hmm. right? I think Aristotle was one of the first um, to apply more scientific methods, but before that, people saw bees on flowers gathering nectar, and they assumed that. That nectar had rained down from the gods because it was such a valued, you know, product. The the, the sweet nectar and so. the golden the golden color like the sun. Mm-hmm. And so they gave thanks to the to the rain and the gods every time. And interesting. And well, we'll talk about Don Smiley. You you knew you didn't know enough about beekeeping, right? And you bet you thought it would be best if you saw it firsthand. Yes, and I knew that. Um, I knew that it would be much more interesting to have <laughs> someone besides, <clears throat> excuse me, me talking about my beekeeping forays and, and foibles. And I, I write a lot about my own mistakes as a beginning beekeeper, but Smiley has been doing it for 10 years and he was a real professional and, and brought a lot of color 
So he let you come down to Florida and follow him around. Mm, he tried to put me to work, but I was busy scribbling in my notebooks. But yeah, I followed him around for about three three years to just get every part of the process. Well, now being in the panhandle, his specialty is, of course, Tupelo honey, the tupelo, right? Yes, yeah, yes. super sweet honey, and well, and interesting because when you get these specialized honeys, I mean, it's, you figure the blossoming time it's a very short period of time, so you've got to make hay quickly, right? You and do, make, you make do. honey quickly. I was surprised at how, like, <clears throat> I'm sorry, in my in my home, I had several different kinds of <clears throat> flowers um, and just collected them all at once. So I made wildflower honey. But Smiley has very specific buds that he gathers from, so he moves them as the... Moves as a hive, bees and all. Moves right. them from flower to flower, or not flower to flower, individually. Field, field, field to field. field. <laughs> so in the, before the tupelo, it's something called red gallberry. And then when the gallberry's done, the tupelo blossoms open, and, it's, and it can be like a week-long scramble to get all of that nectar before the blossoms go away. So how many harvests does he do in a season he does about four different honeys huh. and then and then moves them all up north to stay a little bit warmer during the winter interesting yeah. yeah it's a very it's a really physical job which i didn't understand before i mean it's such hard work just lifting and moving hives around and we did a wonderful job of documenting that and it, mm. and and some interesting stories and tales to tell along the way. Um, when, how many hives do you have up? In, you have a home up in Connecticut, in the, out in the country. I had two until a bear came. Uh-huh. Now I have none. Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, you can't. Um, when a bear finds out where that kind of snack is, um, they'll come back over and over and over again. And yeah. I didn't have enough property to to move the hives far enough away, so I'm no longer a beekeeper. But when you were harvesting your honey, when you were keeping the bees, mm-hmm. um, how, how did you get one harvest of honey? Or I had, about, I had three hives, and I think my best yield from one of those hives was about 150 pounds. Wow. And I might have done that over the course of a, of a fall harvest. So I almost always ended up with way too much honey. I still have... A garage full. So you wait till the end of the season if you have small hives and small production, or do you take the frames out regularly and, and depends reap it? on what you know. What's if you're out? if you're gathering a certain kind of flower, then you would go right in the middle of the season. But I generally waited until my my supers, which are where the honey is collected, I waited until those got full, and then I would harvest. Well, it was knowing about different types of honeys from different plants and flowers. Um, and then reading about Don Smiley's, you know, wait for the Tupelo honey, mm-hmm. I, I was interested to find out the fact that you brought up that each time a bee leaves the hive, they stick with only one kind of flower. That is fascinating. I mean, I just, you know, I look in my garden, I see bees all around. I think, well, they're going from flower to flower to flower. No, they'll, it if, is. It's, it's, if it's a daisy, it's only daisies, right? If it's it clover, is. it's only clover. I, I mean, researching this book and, and beekeeping, I just, there were so many times where I just was like, that's not possible. It's so amazing. They but haven't they learned do. about varietal mixes? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but that also plays into the whole pollination puzzle because they, that's, that's how plants get cross-pollinated by bees because they are going from the same flower and, and bringing pollen that's stuck to them from one flower to the next. And it's so amazing. we have beautiful crops of flowers, right? right. Uh, well, and a problem, too, in heirloom 
um, vegetables. I was talking to um, a woman about growing heirloom varieties, and you have to be careful about cross pollinization. Mm-hmm. Let's say with melons or squash or something, and um, because that will occur. There's similar flowers, but different 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 types of uh, a plant. Interesting. And the tupelo was is a was the sweet honey, and that took that only is in blossom for. A week or two? It could be as, as little as a week or ten days, and sometimes it might be three weeks. But it's it's a really short mm-hmm. season, and it's a it's a it's a it's a tree that grows only in that part of the country, and I think maybe in a couple of other places in the world. So that's why he really he can charge a premium for it. It's rare. It's got a very distinct flavor and highly sought after. Right. Well, we're going to talk more about the bees when we come back after this short break. You can take all the tea in China Put it in a big brown bag for me Sail right around all the seven oceans Drop it straight into the deep blue sea Welcome back to A Taste of the Past. I'm talking with Holly Bishop about bees and honey, and which is is older than than history, right? Mm-hmm. And we have just been joined in the studio by Brandon Hoy and Hello. Eddie Diaz. Welcome, guys. They Thank are, you. aside from uh, Brandon being part owner of Roberta's Restaurant, where we record our shows from, they are the master beekeepers here in on the on the rooftops of Roberta's, and. Um, Holly, we were talking about uh, the problems in the country with uh, beekeeping and the hives, and Holly lost her hives to a bear. Oh, man. We, we don't have that. Wow. You guys are safe. <laughs> no, they're, we're safe from bears, thankfully. <laughs> right. So, But what are some of the challenges that you face as city beekeepers? 
Um, I mean, I've only we've only lost two hives. Um, one of them was because of the cold weather and the wind on top of a six-story building yeah. where we keep our hives. So it's a little colder, and you get a, a pretty killer breeze coming across. Um, I lost our, our first hive to foul brood, mm-hmm. which just based on like the type of bees that you get, and we were very inexperienced when we first got our first sets of hives. We were YouTube beekeepers. Oh, YouTube beekeepers. <laughs> I see Holly shaking her head. Holly, you're shaking everything. your head. You've, yeah. Just foul brood. It's exactly how it sounds. Yeah, it is foul. Yeah. And it yeah. smells bad. And, you know, you, you, you spend the money up front to kind of get the things you need. And then right away, you just lose it all. None of it's uh, reusable. I mean, once you've had foul brood in, a, in a, the Langstroth style hive it's done pretty much yeah we just talked it. we just talked about lorenzo a little while ago as a matter of fact um, <laughs> the history of beekeeping yeah you bet um and but what i wanted to know is well first of all we're only recently just allowed <clears throat> legally i know you guys have been doing it for a little while but <laughs> we're in here in the city an ordinance has been passed that does allow city dwellers to keep beehives uh, realizing they had to make people realize that bees weren't bad they're not culprits right um but what made you start keeping bees here in the city it was kind of a it, it was it was as much of a hobby that we were kind of getting into as friends at the beginning because our our third partner who's not here right now john feldman who uh, is the general manager over at frankie spuntino on 457 court mm-hmm. he went to culinary school he went to uh the cia upstate and he was turned on to beekeeping by a professor and then we talked about it i worked with john over at oto and Ateca, and we talked about beekeeping and we didn't know where we were going to do it at the time we were like oh, we could get a car we could do it in long island we could do it in pennsylvania maybe get some land and do it not just ignoring exactly where we were and what we could actually do here and then with roberta's once i started working here and then Brandon had all these like plans that were just then at at the beginning it it was it was only plans and they were they were moving fast on them but for rooftop uh farming and all, you know this this idea of agriculture on top of the buildings which to us we were like oh wow that is perfect it's a very sure. symbiotic yeah. relationship between the, the restaurant urban food. agriculture and kind of beekeeping right. both for the pollination and just for well the that's fact what of, that's uh, that was my question because just i remind the listeners I've, I've mentioned it before but roberta's restaurant has phenomenal gardens on top of the roof as well you. as in the back and now a new um venture in is it long island city brooklyn grange which is forty thousand square feet of of rooftop rooftop, rooftop gardens yeah so and i it's wonder very diverse you know as far as the the type of produce that it's grown there. That's so. why I wondered mm-hmm. if maybe you started keeping the bees for pollination because of the, the like you said, it, it, it kind of started as a hobby. We were yeah. more just interested in beekeeping and and just the the idea of like going through this process and like learning about the bees and it, it gave us some time together, the three of us, to kind of just like have this project and work on it. And we started very small, and and now we have seven hives um, in in Brooklyn. And it's just like kind of a growing relationship with the bees themselves and with us. Yeah, amazing. It's it's really it, it's funny because what what we originally started doing was looking at YouTube, looking you know beekeeping for dummies, books like this that 
that are actually extremely helpful, especially uh, YouTube as a, as a resource for somebody to teach themselves. And as we started researching things, we realized that there are tons of people uh, beekeeping, even when it was illegal, beekeeping in New York City. Well, so there's a whole organization of city beekeepers. Absolutely. Yeah. And just like par for the course for us we decided not to really do, have anything to do with the organization itself just kind of do our own thing but we, we liked to be like outlaws yeah. in the beginning <laughs> we kind of liked the the yeah. whole like you know it was illegal and we'll we were doing it diy okay so everyone out there is wondering holly you included okay you're in the country doing this and she was a newbie too and you were learning on the fly how many times have you been stung oh i've been stung a lot I I'm probably get stung the most. They for some reason I I have kind of an outdated hairstyle, a mullet, and they like the back of my neck. They get stuck in my hair always. So you can see I have my hair up right now. I have to. This you guys is like don't a new wear thing. A veil or anything? Uh, you know, it just depends on what kind of work we're doing. Um, if if we're in the hive a lot. And we're really like messing with frames, or we're going down into like brood boxes. We're usually a, a lot more cautious. Um, just overall maintenance and looking, looking through, and just kind of looking for things. Diagnostic, sh- showing our friends. You know, people <laughs> we're a little, we're curious. a little less less careful sometimes. Yeah. And Holly, have I know you? You mentioned you, that you, your I couldn't first count the ventures. number of times yeah. I've been stung. Yeah, but, but I tend to wear gloves. And I, I've, I've never really had a bad reaction to the last time I got stung on my hand in it, and it. It swole up like three times its normal size. It was huge. It was, and it lasted for like three days. Ah, but it's worth the honey. Yeah, <laughs> and it's good for your arthritis, apparently. Yeah, which, apparently, right? I don't I'm know. fighting early here. <laughs> I, I actually, when we when we put in this year's uh, colonies, uh, we were with a photographer from uh, from uh, I guess the Huffington Post food page, and we were up there doing doing our thing in front of him. We only had one suit here. John Feldman was wearing the suit. So I you know, I had everything tucked in. Um, you know, my jeans tucked in my boots. It was pretty cold, so I had a jacket on and my shirt tucked into my jeans, things like that. And I f- had a veil and gloves, so I figured I was fine. I did have one uh, small hole in my jeans. Oh, and they In a place it. Where, where, <laughs> where guys generally get holes in the jeans, which is... Uh, Dead center of the stitching, I would say, at the top of the legs. <laughs> the crotch area, yes. we can say that. And, uh, yeah, man, I, 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 I actually, not a, not a great on, place camera, to get stung. on camera, got stung in, in the family jewel. Oh, so, yes. That really happened. Well, isn't honey a good salve for that? Yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> true. Oh, that's incredible. What about your um, harvest of honey? How, how have, Are you successful and? How much do you get this year? Um, I think that we're ha- honestly. I think we're having a little bit of problem with the uh, with the kind of excluder. It, it almost seems that, that we're using uh, to keep the queen down in the lower uh, brood chambers. The bees really do that naturally, and I think we're going to try taking the excluders off, or at least that's what John and I were talking about. That they're not building as much on the top levels as they did last year. I think that there's we're kind of learning still and like the the metal ex- excluders might be a little bit more successful than the plastic ones, but last year we had one hive that that produced a ton of honey. I mean, we still have we have one hive that's not here at Roberta's that's it produces enormous. It, I mean, yeah. it's an enormous hive and it's constantly producing. Is it over at the Grange by any chance? No, this is this is one that we have in Williamsburg, which 
it's our biggest hive and we have to move it. Oh. It needs to be moved. <laughs> it needs to be moved like in the next month or so. So we're, we're going to have to, um, this will be our first full hive uh, transportation. Holly, do you have any helpful hints after following Don Smiley around? <laughs> Uh, well, there's a there's a stuff called Begon. Have you mm-hmm. looked into that? It's mm-hmm. butyric acid, and it's just foul, foul smelling. Um, but that's more for for eliminating them from an area. Yeah, yeah we we want to actually capture the hive and move it. I mean, I think what we're going to do in the end is probably like pheromone style stuff. Get night. Brandon in a bee beard. Yeah, I'll just walk. I'll just walk <laughs> through Brooklyn with a giant bee beard. Good publicity. Yes. Why not? <laughs> it, they, the bees go into the hive at night when it's cool yeah. and dark, I and mean, you could you could mm-hmm. cover them in plastic. It wouldn't yeah. be as exciting. That's kind of but. that's kind of like I mean I've seen Andrew move them before. I've I've seen it secondhand. Andrew Cote, and I, yeah, of the and, I, and I've seen that I've seen that method. It's actually well. it's surprisingly. Um, it's surprisingly traumatic to to the hive to move them. I, I was so shocked, but by we we had we to moved move one very short distance, dude, like twenty five feet or something, maybe forty feet. We moved it, and then those. It seems that the bees from those colonies that we moved flew out the next day and then went back to their previous spot, which is where the other hives were. Oh. And then those hives got much bigger, much quicker, before that they could possibly have reared brood. So. That's really what happened. They just got lost going back. It's or really you weird. took maybe there were bees from that from that hive that you moved away. It's possible. Maybe if they weren't all back in their respective hives at night. It's possible. Yeah, yeah. We we moved them fairly. Yeah, we moved late. Them I mean, night, we yeah. moved them at night. Mm. So I mean, we had figured that most of them were were already back, and they, and it seemed full. They, they were fairly new hives, so. Two days. Uh, yeah. yeah, two days. I mean, there was probably only 30,000 bees in there. Maybe they weren't, even se- they weren't they settled were in yet. Yeah. They weren't, yeah. So, I mean, they probably had just figured out what their flight path was, you know. Yeah. Um, and then it's got to be a guys. little confused. Then, then, then the bear. <laughs> then the big bears <laughs> the came. Big bear, the human bear. <laughs> human right. bear, man. Well, a friend of mine upstate uh, decided to start some hives, and she became obsessed, as, as we talked about earlier. Um, and I thought, oh, it's just because she needed a, she needed a good hobby. But after reading this book and then hearing your tale I'm hooked I mean it is I can see how easily it can become an obsession problem is I do have bears up on my upstate <laughs> property so I'm a little worried about that but she said once you see bees swarm it's it's a sight that I mean you've never seen before now, have you had swarms have you I mean it's we not a good had thing, our right? own we haven't had our own swarm I've seen a swarm but we haven't had our own swarm yet we're, we're fairly confident if, if they do swarm which we we take all precautions to make sure that they don't giving them enough room enough you know air circulation but but besides that if they do i think we're fairly confident in being able to go after them holly can you describe a swarm those of us who don't know what a swarm is when bees swarm it's not necessarily a good thing no it's it's that as we just heard their their home has become unlivable for some reason or the queen has abandoned or died Jump so ship. It's, it's bees in need of a home and a and a leader and so it's can be it's usually at the end of a season it might be 50,000 bees and they're all flying together like a, it's like a cloud a big humming cloud vibrating and One then they'll clump. find a place to Settle and recruit. Hopefully, it's a place that's easy to get to, yeah. <laughs> and not like in somebody's attic. But you can't. I mean, you can guide the the swarm sometimes. Successfully, if you can find the, the queen, end. a lot of times you can you can just move them. She's yeah, usually in her. there She's somewhere. Somewhere in there. Hmm. She's I, usually dead center. 
if if not if if it's a problem where the the queen is gone, then it's a little bit more difficult. They, they make pheromone type traps for them um, that you can put out and try to catch the swarm, which I, we've never used. So I don't know what the success oh. rate is on something like that, but. Mm-hmm. Um, they exist. So each hive is one queen and how many thousands of bees generally? Uh, it could be up to 100,000. It just depends on what size the, the colony is and how wow. strong they are. I, wow. mean. I think an average in a, in a Langstroth hive is 70,000, 80,000. Mm-hmm. And that's um, primarily worker bees, which is what you see out collecting nectar. Females. females. All females. All females. Yes. And then there are Like 1,000, uh, maybe 2,000 yeah, drones. Yeah, yeah. It's a small percentile. And we'll kick those out the door usually. <laughs> they can't fly. Yeah, pretty sure they just yeah. like, you know, they definitely, they're dudes. They definitely bite off their wings and throw them out at the, at the yeah. end of the season. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they're pretty uh, lazy. I think if they had like chairs, they'd probably just sit around and do nothing. Yeah, of course. They also buzz very loudly but cannot sting in the male views. Interesting. Yeah. And they take up a lot of the resources of, of the hive. Yeah. Well, that's just it. I mean, we, you know, we talked about the title of, oh, of Holly's book, Robbing the Bees. But of course, now in in more modern day cultivation, we you know you know to leave at least one super is it, in mm-hmm. there for food for the bees, so they'll they'll make it through the winter, right? mm-hmm. and and you don't take all their food away. We we take very little even yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we the first season we tried not to take anything. We were very much like we need to build the colonies and yeah. like you know let them know that like what they're they're building homes for themselves that they're gonna like hopefully stay in for in the end it was too cold of a winter and i think that's what how we lost the one hive that we left too much food we left an extra shallow super on top as well so they would have extra food which gave it more space which gave it yeah they had they had more more heat a bigger area than than what they could so Mm. We should have. We should have. Our our generosity. Our generosity might have killed our bees. Exactly. Well, it's it's interesting that um, the process of of the honey making, which you describe beautifully in the book, and and how it's I don't know what um, what percentage of liquid water it is um, when it's first made. Well, it starts out. It's it's plant nectar, and it's the pellets of ninety nine percent water, water. and then and then the bees bring it in the quantities we were talking about just drop by drop into the hive and they actually fan it with their wings to dry it to to and evaporate then all the that moisture water. yeah wow that is what a process i'm making maple reduction. syrup i know is the same yeah. thing right mm-hmm. so it's, but i could use some bees for that it's incredible i mean they really they do that they do that to perfection every time they cure it and and they only cap when it's completely like like impossible to go rancid, you know. Cap meaning they they cap off the comb and they yeah. don't they don't use anymore. They yeah, don't once, do any more once like they that. once they're completely satisfied with what they have, then then it's done and they cap it. And like you said, there's, there's it's like a hundred percent on every time. So they're the combs amazing. once the combs are filled with honey and that's it. They're not reusable. They're I mean they're they're done. No, they're reusable. They're, that was another invention um, where you, you take it's that stronger. cap off yeah. and you spin it around and the honey spins out and you can put the wax comb right back in. But the wax is so usable friendly, and, and functional. But also it, it helps to, be, to make them go through the process of rebuilding. Just it, it gives them... It, it gives them this like extra amount of time that you have to like go through to like nurse them and be like, all right, now we're giving you back empty frames and now you have to rebuild again. Whereas if you just put the frame back in with the comb, it's like they just go back to work doing the same thing, filling mm-hmm. the comb up, putting more honey in. Usually, if you want to use the wax and stuff, it's it comes from a hive that's either 
died Gone, or right. or you at the know, end or of the moved, season or if if you're taking if you're taking you know supers off permanently then you can use that that wax that bee pollen <laughs> the propolis you know every all the byproduct of it is is usable well it was interesting to to learn that um the ancient greeks used the 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 comb the wax the, the beeswax for their lost wax um, sculptures wow. and reductions and and my friend upstate who does it she now uses it for jewelry making she uses the the gone spent honeycomb for for some uh, silver making which is all these byproducts of bees that are just so wonderful what would we do without them right yeah seriously yeah and well I mean food first of all food which is I mean it's, you could you found out you can survive on honey alone for a while right? <laughs> there are tribes in in Africa that, that do just that. Well, and the other thing that was so intriguing to me, this, there's so much information in this book. I could, we could go on for hours. But, and then getting you know, the firsthand experience from you guys. But I was so interested to learn that their bees were not in North America. They are not indigenous to North America. They had to be imported. We didn't have bees in this, in this well, new country until the country was, was founded in 1600s, mm-hmm. right? And now we export as well. Really, and there's places like New Zealand, I believe that they don't. Their they, bees are not indigenous in New Zealand either. Well, I mean, any place that does like mono, mono cropping type of um, farming needs pollination. So mm-hmm. usually they'll bring in, you know, billions of bees. You know, thousands <clears throat> of actual, actual like semi, semis full filled with bees yeah, to amazing. pollinate. Well, that was a, that was a thing that I, I had to laugh. I mean, you get your bees delivered. In, in the mail, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you get a, a queen in a package. And I have to imagine that the people at the mail at, at USPS are pretty used to it by now. Yeah. <laughs> they, they never seem very shook up about it when you're like, we're here to get our bees. They're like, oh, yeah, they're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. And, and of course, the, the fear is you don't kill, don't kill the bees. Be careful with the bees. Whereas in you know ancient times, we've talked about, they just they killed the bees just to get the honey. And then so, yeah, they do. Langstroth hive was a huge. That, that's what's funny is it's looked at now as not the most. Uh, I, I don't want to use the word humane because you're you're talking about different things, but it's not the most natural state for like bees to like actually what what they would normally do is form a circle. You're right, left on their own, they would make up a right. round hive. Um, but it was originally designed so that you could actually save the colony you could overwinter the colony because you're just taking the honey out and putting the frames right back in um so that it's it's just funny to think of now that that we have a this guy ron braylon who who taught us a lot about beekeeping um he's a really he's an impressive guy and he has like a really good mind for uh for all kinds of farming but he Particularly with, with the bees, he does incredible stuff. Like he builds his own hive, like the dodecahedron, huh. which is like it's natural. They can they can form the colony kind of in their natural shape, which is more of like a um, what's the word? It's like a, it looks like a football almost. It's yeah. like this oval shaped type um, beautiful structure that yeah. they build. So he then just kind of builds that shape for them out of the dodecahedron box, and then they naturally build the the shape. Uh, 
house they want which to then he can open it up and like get inside to like diagnose if there's any kinds of problems or whatever but you can't in his extract design it. you can't extract honey oh, you can't no they, they build so their own research home. Real, basically uh, research I, I think and just, farming and yeah, like having bees in the world yeah. Bees, yeah. well if it weren't for the bees we wouldn't have flowers and all that great food and med- and medicine I mean what the medicinal qualities are wonderful there's probably thousands of tinctures yes indeed from. and I just I mean there's so much information we could go on for another hour of this book but I encourage you to read Robbing the Bees by Holly Bishop and thank you so much Brandon and yeah, Eddie for joining us and, and giving us all that first hand information and I'd also like to thank our producer Jack Inslee and our engineer Nat Wiener and Fairway Market for being our sponsor <laughs> I'm Linda Palaccio you've been listening to A Taste of the Past Thank you.